0: Last week, John T. took us through the first nine plagues where God struck the Egyptians. And um, this week, we're doing the 10th strike, if you like, the 10th plague. Let me going to find my place. Exodus chapter 12, uh, 11 and 12, I should say. We're not going to read all of 11 and all of 12. Actually, we are going to read all of 11. We're not going to read all of 12. Uh, there's various bits in the chapter, if you like, there's uh, various bits about uh, the 10th plague itself, the strike of God, the, the death of the firstborn. And there's also bits where God institutes uh, Passover, institutes a festival so that the Israelites in uh, generations to come remember this uh, particular plague. So we'll be skipping over verses 14 to uh, 20 and the end of chapter 12, uh, because John is going to be uh, preaching on those bits and chapter 13 for us in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but for the moment, we're just going to be looking at the, the event itself, the Passover event itself. So let me uh, restart at the start of chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you uh, go from here. And when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, that they ask every man of his neighbour and every woman of her neighbour for silver and gold jewellery. And the Lord gave the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow to me and say, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep uh, or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they uh, shall take some of the blood and put it on the door, door, two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted from the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall bear. And in this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I'll execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you, befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And skipping on to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lands for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And at midnight, the Lord shut down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, there is not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said, and take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, then kneading bowls being bound up and their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians. So they let the, um, them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. And mixed multitude also went up with them It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Let me pray for us as we come to God's words. Our Father, we pray you'd uh, come and show us the Lord Jesus in this Passover passage. We pray you'd come and uh, renew us in the gospel of grace and fill our hearts uh, for all that you've done uh, to save us. We pray, give us your spirit to shed uh, your light upon us. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the sadnesses of lockdown is our uh, um, inability to sing, to gather today and to sing uh, together, uh, to sing songs like uh, Amazing Grace, uh, how Sweet the Sound, or songs like my, my Song is Love Unknown, which has those wonderful lyrics. Uh, Who am I that for my sake my Lord to take for our flesh and die? Uh, why is it so good to sing songs like that, to sing songs together uh, like that? Uh, why should it be something uh, that we miss? Uh, it's because songs like that, Amazing Grace, lift our eyes up. From our kind of day to day routines to God and His gospel. Uh, I feel like our day to day rhythms of life often drag our eyes downwards, down from God's grace, down from our sin, down from uh, His gospel. Probably particularly true during lockdown when we've been deprived of so many different things. Uh, I can guarantee that, like when the kids are screaming, uh, or, or when uh, work is pressing on you, deadlines are heavy, you're getting up early in the morning, going to bed late at night, or, or when your life just feels and seems uh, dull and tiring and monotonous, um, that we don't feel that amazed by grace, that our eyes are down and not up looking to God. And so we're people that need a renewing uh, in the gospel. And that's something that singing does and we sing songs like, amazing grace, it's sometimes why we might go to uh, camps in the summer or conferences where we're reminded uh, of the gospel we believe. It's sometimes why we want to meet up with other Christians throughout the week and to pray with them and to talk to them. Ultimately, it's the reason why we're gathering here uh, today, or one of the reasons, uh, to renew our wonder, our amazement at the gospel. And this Passover passage, although it might not seem like it on the surface, it uh, goes a long way. It goes a long way to renewing our amazement in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, to many of us, the story uh, might feel uh, familiar, and uh, so we don't quite maybe engage with it uh, properly. Uh, but it is a story uh, that should make us rejoice in the God that saves. Uh, today, very simply, we're, we're confronted with what it looks like for God to save His people. In our passage is the ultimate saving act of God that brings His people out of slavery and into freedom. It's a picture of the ultimate saving act that brings us out of slavery to sin and the devil and into freedom of knowing God. Let's just backtrack a little bit and remember where we are in the story. Uh, So far in Exodus, uh, God has had a bit of a a a one-track mind, hasn't he? If you've watched the the film Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump is this character with a one-track mind. He uh, comes up with an idea, and that's the thing he does uh, for the next year sometimes. Uh, So he starts running, and he runs across uh, the entire country of America and back again. Or he starts playing ping pong, and he becomes a world champion. He has a one-track mind. And God, in Exodus, has a bit of a one-track mind. And you can sum it up in his command uh, to Pharaoh uh, through Moses, which is, let my people go. Let my people go so that they are free to worship and serve me. Uh, as we saw last week uh, in the first nine plagues, Pharaoh refuses, doesn't he? Uh, His stony heart is absolutely, uh, resolutely defiant to God. He starts scoffing God. Who is the Lord that I should let this people go? I feel like it's like he sticks up his fists against God and says, Come at me, God. And so, chapter by chapter, the nine plagues before this, God comes at him and strikes him. Strikes him with these plagues of frogs and boils, hail and darkness. Uh, Throughout previous chapters, Pharaoh comes and is, he, he ponders letting the people go, but ultimately remains resistant and refuses, hardens his heart to God. He will not let them go. And so we come to chapter 11 and verse 1, God says, "Yet one more plague, one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh. What is this plague? What it is? Terrifying, isn't it? Verse four, about midnight, God says, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Firstborn of Pharaoh shall die, the firstborn of the maidservant in the dungeons shall die. The firstborn of all the animals shall die. There's a plague, actually, that God promised back in chapter four. If Pharaoh continued being resistant as he has been. This is the plague, God will bring. It's it's horrifying in some ways. And that's one thing, just before we get really into the meat of detail, if we're going to stay amazed by grace, we need to keep being horrified by terrors of God's judgment. Otherwise there'll be no amazement that he saves us from it. It's horrifying, but it's also just, this plague of the firstborn. One way to think about it is that Egypt and Pharaoh have been slaughtering God's firstborn, Israel. They've been throwing Israel's babies into the, into the Nile. They've been enslaving God's firstborn. And so God responds measure for measure. You've been killing my firstborn. Well, I will kill yours. And death, which is what this play brings, the ultimate price, the ultimate judgment for rejecting Uh, the God of life. But it's in the midst of this, in many ways, horrifying judgment, Uh, God's promise of bringing it, and God's delivering uh, all the judgments, that that we learn what it is like for God to save his people. And the first thing we learn uh, is that God saves his people freely. God saves us freely. So God promises this plague. Uh, but then in verses 6 and 7, he says uh, this: that so there will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as as there has never been before. But in Israel, in Israel, not a dog shall growl. So that the Lord, so that you know that the Lord makes a distinction. the distinction is this, that in Egypt there is a great cry as they are visited by utter desolation and ruin. But in Israel, in Israel not even a dog will growl against the Israelites. Uh, God will strike the Egyptians to the core in judgment, uh, but will leave Israel unharmed. He promises again and again through chapter twelve that no plague will go into an Israelite's house that the Lord will pass over. And the question, first question for us this morning is why? Why does God save Israel? Why does He make a distinction between Egypt, whom He destroys, and Israel whom He saves? What is so special? About the Israelites, what does it say special about us that God should pour His grace on us? And the answer is nothing. At least, uh, nothing in themselves was special. Uh, we tend to think, uh, in the story of Exodus, the Pharaoh is the evil one, a uh, deserving judgment, and um, we're um, right; he is, he does deserve God's judgment. But we tend to think of the Israelites as uh, the good ones. Uh, the ones who are holy, who, who are set aside and worship the Lord, the ones who have been enslaved and deserve, well, deserve freedom. Uh, but one thing that's clear in the Exodus passage is that when God sweeps through Egypt in judgment, he sweeps through the whole land, including Goshen, where the Israelites are. And he visits, if you like, every house in judgment. The verse 23, the destroyer, why explicitly is visiting the Israelites' houses. He explicitly comes to Israel in judgment. You expect maybe God to save Israel by simply not sending the destroyer into Israel at all, by saying, just, just avoid them, stay away from them. But the message as Moses speaks to the Israelites is that they deserve judgment, that this plague should fall on them, and yet it doesn't, yet it doesn't. If you've got a Bible, we just need to see why this is, just turn to Joshua 24, turn to Joshua 24, and we have a verse there as Joshua speaks to God's people in the land of Israel, which sheds quite a lot of light uh, back in in this Exodus story. Just one verse, verse 14 of chapter 24, uh, Joshua's calling, the Israelites to serve the Lord. So he says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the lords. We assume the Israelites are devoted ones. We assume the Israelites are the faithful ones. But no, Joshua says the Israelites in Egypt serve the Egyptian gods. They worship the Egyptian gods. Gods. And it's against these gods that this that this judgment is coming. Verse uh verse twelve, the Lord says, I will execute judgment on the gods of Egypt, and in other words, on all those that serve them. So what were Israelites doing while they were worshipping the gods of Egypt? At least in part. So what did Israel do to be saved? Oh, they did nothing. They did nothing, and that has been true throughout the history of God's people up to this point. Abraham was rescued from an idol-worshipping family. Uh, Jacob was a deceiver. And Moses was a coward, and God's people here in this passage prove themselves to be unfaithful, to be those who grumble against the Lord. Not one of them could say, "I have saved." Myself, I have done something to cause God to save me. That there's something in me that's worthy of God's rescue. So why did God save Israel? Well, nothing in them. But because he freely, freely chose to. He saves us freely. We do not compel him to. He does not find something in us worthy or attractive that draws down his grace. His grace is free. And yet, despite our sinfulness, despite our lack of worth to being saved, he does save us freely, and he does more than that. He actually binds himself to us with many great promises. We don't deserve to be rescued from his judgment. We don't deserve to have him pass over as he did with Israelites in this passage, but we receive his salvation freely. God binds himself to his people. Uh, what, one place you can see that actually is Exodus. It is in Exodus chapter 6, which we kind of pass over um, uh, as we are going through the story. But in Exodus chapter 6, in verse 6, to reassure the Israelites, he binds himself to them, he says this, he says, I am the Lord and I will, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you from an an outstretched arm and of great acts of judgment and I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Just as I read that to you here, I will do this freely. Nothing in you. I will, not I will if you, or I will because you did this. No, just I will. At the end of our passage in Exodus, how does it describe the Passover? Well, in verse 42. Says that it was a night of watching by the Lord. What was what he watching? Well, he was watching to make sure that when he comes in judgment, not one of his promises to rescue his people would fall to the ground. If you like, on the on the passover, at the passover, God was on watch. He was on vigil. He was guarding. He was protecting. He was making sure that not one of his promises to his people. Would fall to the ground. You can picture a little bit like a mother hen. He sees danger coming, a fire sweeping across the landscape, or a snake in the grass, and gathers her chicks under her wings to protect them. Because she cares for them, because she loves them. That is the picture of God freely doing that for his people, gathering his people under his wings, so that not one of his promises to rescue and to save. Will drop to the ground. So, what's say amazing about grace? You can't stop God saving you. Your sin, when it overwhelms you, cannot stop God from delivering His promises to you. Yes, we deserve judgment, and that is the first thing to recognise as a Christian. But he is watching over us to make sure we do not receive that judgment. No wonder the Israelites bowed their heads and worshipped. But God's free grace, which we've been talking about, is not cheap grace. God's free grace is not cheap grace. God saves us at a great price. That is our second point this morning. We examined why God's Saved Israel, and now we think, How does God save Israel? And God saved Israel centers on this lamb in chapter 12. Uh, if you like, the lamb of the Passover separates Israel from Egypt. So, in this passage, who is this Passover lamb? Well, it's a lamb that every Israelite must. Identify with, um, so, so uh, the leader of a household has to take the lamb. Verse three, but must take a, a lamb to make sure um, that it, uh, there's enough of the lamb uh, to identify with all the people in a household. Uh, it's one of the reasons, maybe, why as well when they feast on it, everyone has to eat it so that everyone is identified with it. It's maybe another reason why they had to keep the lamb for four days, choose it on the tenth and slaughter it on the fourteenth, so that. Uh, It becomes part of their household, so that every Israelite is identifying with it. It's also a lamb that is uh, perfect. The reason why you choose a lamb in the first place is a lamb, if you like, is a symbol of innocence, but it's a lamb without blemish, verse 5. And it's a lamb that's sufficient uh, to rescue, sufficient for the Lord to pass over. Uh, That's possibly why they couldn't leave any of it remaining. They need to eat the whole lamb and nothing else. It's sufficient as well, if you notice, that they're dressed to go. They're ready in haste. They've got a the staff in their hand, sandals on their feet. They've got the cloak on, the belt on. There's a lamb that's going to do its work perfectly. It's going to be enough to rescue the Israelites. And what's the most significant thing they have to do with this lamb? Well, they have to slaughter it. Look down at verse 21. They have to slaughter it and take uh, some of its blood and touch the lintel on the two doorposts, the blood that is in the basin. And then what? Well, they have to go inside. They, they paint the doorposts of blood and then they have to go inside and they have to stay inside, sheltering under the blood of the lamb that was slaughtered. And it's the blood quite explicitly in the passage, the blood that causes God to pass over when he comes in judgment. When the destroyer comes in verse 23, and the destroyer comes with sword raised to strike the Israelites, what does he find? When the Lord comes in holy and righteous judgment, what does he find? When he finds his work already done, That's what he finds. He he sees the blood, verse 23. He sees the blood and passes over because his work is already done. He doesn't pass over because he turns a blind eye to justice. He doesn't pass over the Israelites because his love, the Lord's love, somehow triumphs over his justice. He, He doesn't pass over because of some kind of unjust favoritism. And he passes over because his work is already done. Someone has already died, and the Israelites are huddling under that person's blood. They identify with the lamb and they huddle under the lamb's death, and God passes over. See in Egypt, someone did die. In every house. Including the house of the Israelites. But in Israel. It wasn't a firstborn son that died. But the lamb. And why does God pass over? What is so valuable about this lamb? It's because in the lamb's blood. The Lord sees his son's blood. In the lamb's blood the Lord sees his son's blood. That is the great cost. The Bible, throughout Scripture, identifies Jesus with the Lamb. In Isaiah, it is the Lamb who is slain for our sin. In John, in um, 2 Corinthians, in 1 Peter, in Revelation, Jesus is identified with the Lamb. In fact, in heaven, he's called the Lamb. Uh, on the throne, we'll be worshipping a Lamb. He is he is The Lamb Uh, that just as with the Israelites, substitutes for them, the land that substitutes uh, for us is the land that we identify with, that we grasp with faith, and who sheds his blood for us. Let's not forget, as Christians, that God's free grace through so love is not cheap grace that when we enter the new creation to meet the Lord face to face, we will be dressed and robed, soaked uh, in this land's blood, and we'll be worshipping the Lamb on the throne. Jesus the man with nail scars and his feet and the hands and hole in the side where his blood flowed for us. Our, our salvation. It's paid for in blood. We forget that, don't we, so easily. The free grace God pours on us. It's grace that comes at a great cost. But it's grace that leaves us totally secure. This blood leaves us totally secure. When God is sweeping through Egypt, and if you like, imagine being an Israelite in their houses as God swept through Egypt and they could hear in the distance, cry after cry, rising up through the land of Egypt as people wake and find their loved ones dead and, and your, your heart is pounding, your face is white. What are you going to do as you hear the great cries of God's judgment? What are you going to do? What are you going to look up and see the blood? That's what God calls the Israelites to do. Verse 13, the blood is a sign to them that he will pass over. When our sins rise, when our hearts are afraid of death, when we doubt the gospel message, what are we going to do? We're going to look to the blood that saves us. We're going to fill our vision with the cross. We're going to look to the blood and see that the destroyer's sword has fallen on Christ and it cannot fall on us. And although I'm a sinner deserving judgment, I am secure because I'm sheltered under the blood of Christ. What more can God give to me to secure my trust and my faith in him and his own precious son? And lastly, very briefly this morning, God's free grace is not cheap grace, but it is rich grace. God saves us to bless us with what purpose does God rescue? He rescues the purpose to bless. The evidence of that is plain in the passage. Partly you can see it in the land, they have a feast, they have a celebration when God rescues, they're gorging themselves. God rescues them when they have full bellies, not with empty bellies. But more importantly, they leave rich, don't they? They take the silver and the gold of the Egyptians, they plunder them. Uh, even Pharaoh recognizes that God's out to bless the Israelites. This says, Take your flocks and your herds and go and bless me also, because he recognizes the blessing of God is upon his people. That is why he is saving them. And they're departing, aren't they, to live in the promised land. Their destination is a land flowing with milk and honey. Who is the Lord? Well, he is a Lord who seeks to bless. Those He saves, how blessed do you feel. I suspect many of us feel dry spiritually, maybe physically. Feel dry. Look to the Lord, look to the cross, and know that God is intent on blessing us, and the fullness of His blessings are actually still to come. That He is taking us uh, to a place, a heaven flowing with milk and <laughs> honey. And currently, if you like, maybe you're in, in the desert a little bit. The, the Israelites didn't go straight to Canaan, did they? They went through the desert on their way to Canaan. Right, a desert in which they grumbled, they didn't trust the Lord. If you like, some of us may feel like we're a bit of a desert at the moment. Remember this, if you have taken shelter under Christ if you're taking shelter in Christ's blood that God is intent on blessing us spiritually now and actually in eternity physically heaven is a place of physical rich blessings I can't say to you this morning if you maybe on the live stream don't know Christ if you don't know the salvation that he brings then come inside God has provided the blood of his son so that you can shelter under it and find salvation. Come inside and find God's blessing on your life. Let me pray for us. Father, we stand amazed in the presence of the Lord Jesus this morning that he should come to earth, take on frail flesh and die. And who are we that he should do that for us? We are no one, Lord, and yet you delighted to set your love upon us, to send the Lamb, your Lord Jesus, your Son, to die for us. We give you great praise and glory and thanks, and pray that we would live lives rejoicing and worshipping and bowing our heads in adoration to the Lamb that was slain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.